Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. My name is Vian. I'm the pastor and it's a real privilege to be here tonight and to share the word of God with you. But before I jump in, let me just pray for us and then we can start. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for the people around us, Lord. So many things have already been said, Lord, been sung, Father. And you're already busy working and stirring in hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word tonight, Father, that firstly, by your grace, Lord, you would come and give us the capacity, Father, to be honest with ourselves, to see where we are at, Lord, so that we can move to where we need to be. I pray, Father, that as we're also going to look at a passage of Scripture, Lord, that's well known, Father, that we won't shut off, Lord, and think we already know, we've already heard, we already understand, but may we open up ourselves, Father, and allow you to come and do a deep work, Father. Thank you that you are a good Father, wanting to come and give life. And tonight, Lord, we want to say we receive everything from your word. The good parts, Lord, the encouraging parts, the loving parts, Lord, but also the parts that convict us, Lord, that confront us. That allows us, Lord, to come and do self-examination and to look into our own hearts. Lord, all of it we receive from your hand, knowing that it's a loving Father, wanting to come and give life. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, working in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight is Faith Through the Fire. Faith Through the Fire. And yes, we are going to look at a well-known passage of Scripture in Daniel 3 with three guys thrown into a furnace, the burning, fiery furnace. And like I say, you know, many times we've already heard the story, maybe as kids, I know I have kids, so whenever you want to teach them the Bible, you kind of want to use the stories that has a little bit of excitement in them, and there's not a, a lot of them. So when you look at the Old Testament, you know, you have Gideon and the guys going defeating many people. You have Noah and the ark, obviously that's a great story, Jonah and the fish, and then there's these three guys in the furnace. That gets the kids excited, and that keeps them to focus their attention. So many times when we grow old and we come to a certain age, we've heard the story so many times of we've read it and we've heard about it and then all of a sudden when we hear something like this, we kind of shut off a little bit because we've already heard the story. And what is that called? It's like Herman said so beautifully two weeks ago, it's theological pride. Theologically saying that this passage of scripture I've already heard, I already understand, I've depleted the whole wealth of knowledge out of this, there's nothing more I can learn so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. But God calls us to open up our hearts, even if it's something that we've heard over and over again, so that we can really learn something from the passage. Specifically familiar passages, because one of the problems is if we have a misunderstanding about that passage, and we don't allow ourselves to revisit the passage, we'll always have that misunderstanding. You know, many times in the specific story as well, it's a very encouraging story, and I want to say that from the beginning, that I hope that tonight's message encourages us as well. Obviously, with the encouragement, there's going to be a bit of confrontation, a bit of hard word shared as well, because it's God's word, and that's just simply what it does, as it convicts us many times. But to really see what God wants to teach us, because many times when we look at the story, we kind of have the idea, okay, if I place my faith in God, then I will always be in a place where the fire does not burn me. 
and I will be rescued out of this trial. And that's not the case always. It might be in this specific story, but it's not the point of the story. There's something else for us to learn and to see through this that God wants to come and show us. And just to also explain a little bit of the context of the story, it's Daniel and the Israelites finding themselves in Babylonian captivity. They've been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire because they did not obey God, worshipped foreign gods, and they oppressed the poor. So they are not where they're supposed to be. They're not in the culture they are used to. They do not do life the way they used to do life. They're in a foreign place with a foreign culture, with foreign languages, worshipping foreign gods and doing things in strange ways. And we relate very much to that because we are also in captivity, if we can put it like that. We are not where we are supposed to be. We are not home yet. And just like the Israelites, they are there and God said in 70 years he'll come and take them back to the land. He'll come back for them again. And in the same way, Jesus Christ will come back for us, his church. We are in a strange world, strange culture, where strange things happen that we are not supposed to follow. We're not supposed to live like the world around us. And in the same way, and very important for us to understand, you know, in the same book, Jeremiah, the prophet gives them a word from God saying that in 70 years they'll be taken back to their, to their own land. But he says, while you are in captivity, while you are in this foreign place, pray for the city. Be invested in the city. Build houses. Marry. Get children. We are still supposed to invest in the city. Not become like it, but invest in it. In the same way, that's kind of the first thing that we learn, that when we engage the world around us, it's not as it should be, but we cannot distance ourselves from it. We're supposed to pray for the world, build houses, marry wives, get children, but invest in the places that God has placed us, knowing that we are not supposed to live here forever, but we long for a different country. And while with that in mind, we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, from verse 1 to 7, it's Nebuchadnezzar erecting this big golden image, bringing everybody together, saying that when the music starts playing, everybody must worship this golden image. And then in verse 8, we pick up the story and it reads as follows. Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve 
is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Adrach, Masach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king ordered the urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire kindled those men who took up Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. And these three men, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near. To the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared, Sadrach, Mesach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and, and came out and come here. Then Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not signed, the cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language that speak anything against the God of Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Long story, interesting passage of scripture. And just there at the end, you know, it reminds me of a story I told you this morning as well. It's a bit of a side story, but I'm going to tell it in any case. Um, the, the king there at the end, you know, when he had this revelation of who God is and this God that is able to save he still didn't know the character of this God. And you can kind of imagine Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego standing there and the king saying, listen here, any man who speaks anything against this God will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be made ruin. And they're just like, this is not really what this God wants. He's, he's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He would rather actually we sit down with them and explain to them how this God works and then it might lead that they actually worship and serve him. And it just made me think about this story about one of the guys in our small group at work. He's constantly sharing the gospel with the people as he got saved. And one day, HR calls him in. And they explain to him, listen here, you have to stop preaching the gospel to everyone because the people are offended by it. And the policy says, you know, we're not allowed to enforce our religions upon other people. So please, just back off a little bit. And he obviously explains to them that he cannot do that. It's what we are commanded to do, that they're where we are to share our faith and to preach the gospel to those around him. So he just wants to make it known to them that he will not be able to stop 
He has to do this in obedience to God. And they say, okay, in that case, they'll have to call in the big boss. The big boss is a traditional Christian. So for those of you also new here, traditional Christian is someone that grew up in a Christian culture but has never actually met with God. Never actually has have a, re, uh, a relationship with God. So we grew up learning certain things culturally about Christianity, but never really experienced God ourselves. Traditional Christian. And so the big boss comes and says, don't worry, I'm also a Christian, we are going to fire the other guy. <laughs> and then again he has to explain to him, no, I don't think that's a good idea, because then we can't preach the gospel to him, because then he's away. Um, so other people that has a bit of a revelation of who God is don't always act in the right way but nonetheless side story finished back to the passage of scripture at hand a very interesting passage of scripture and like I said one that we've maybe heard a lot of times and we've seen a couple of things from it but I hope that tonight we can learn something of ourselves something of God and something of the world around us as we look at this passage of scripture and the first like I said passage begins with this golden image erected and the decree is given that everybody must worship the image or else be thrown into the fiery furnace and we see this decree restated in verse 10 as these men came and brought this accusation against these three men and it says in verse 10 and 11 you O king have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That takes us to point number one tonight. There will always be another image to worship. There will always be another image to worship. There will always be something in life, in culture, in those around us that will either lead us not to obey God fully or not to obey God at all. There will always be Another image, to bow down and worship. And sometimes we can make it specific and maybe just for a moment to do that tonight, maybe to reflect in your own life and to ask the question, you know, what is the big one image that's erected that constantly drawing you away from God? Calling for your attention. And again, many times as humans, we are struggle to be honest with ourselves. So there's a guy who said, I can't remember his name, but he says, show me where you spend your time and your money and I will tell you who you worship. So if you're struggling to see what is this image, just go look at the last month or two of your life. See where you spend your money and your time. And you'll have an indication of what you worship, what you bow down for, what you lay your life down for. But many times it's not that vivid. It's not that one singular thing that kind of trips us up and that gets us down. And we many times think that way, but it's actually rarely the case. And when we make a statement like this, that there will always be another image to worship, and when we reflect on the story of these three men, one of the questions that kind of comes up always is, what would we have done if we were there? I don't know if you've asked yourself that question before. What would we have done? Would we have bowed down, or would we also be the ones that remain standing? And again, like I said, as humans, we tend to identify with the good character in the stories. But it's rarely the case. We many times are not those that remain standing. Of a whole Jewish nation, of a whole people assembled, there's only three men that remain standing. There are more than three tonight. How many of us would have remained standing? 
And the question that we need to kind of ask ourselves, you know, but what does this represent? How would it have looked like if we would have bowed or not? Because many times, like I say, we think that temptation is going to come in the same way. Because we don't understand the culture and the context of what's busy happening here. We also think that when temptation comes or when something wants to shift my focus from God, it'll also be this clear. The announcement made, hey, you have to choose between this image or God. And that's not actually what's busy happening here. Actually, a very interesting story in the context of the whole book of Daniel, what's busy happening and, and how the Babylonians try to lead people into their own culture and context. Because we see here, you know, what does this image represent? The image doesn't have a name. They don't say it's this specific God or it's that God that you need to worship now. It says here in verse 14, the following. It says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Sadrach, Messiah, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now in the Hebrew, that word all can also be translated through or by. To say that you do not serve my gods by worshiping the golden image that I have set up. And so it's not a specific God that's busy allocated there. It's speaking about religious pluralism. It's speaking about being forming part of the culture. Also, another interesting thing to note is that they don't say that you should stop worshiping your God. They don't say stop worshiping your God. This now is the only image that you shall serve and the only image that you will bow down to. No. It's culture starting to have an effect, telling the people that if you want to go pray to your God at your house, that's fine. If you want to practice your religion privately, that's fine. But when we come together, all of us, let's all act the same way. Let's all do the same things. Let's be considerate. Let's tolerate those around us. Let's set up this golden statue and say that, hey, all gods are the same. All religions lead to the same place. Let's be considerate to those around us. And when the music starts to play, let's just all bow down. You don't have to forsake your God. You don't have to do strange things at house. What you do in your private life, that's fine. But when we come together publicly, let's all look and do the same thing. That's what's busy happening here. And we see this theme throughout the book of Daniel. It's kind of how the Babylonians worked. They took the people into captivity and then very early started to train them and to teach them the ways of the Babylonians, give them good education, change their names like these three men. It's not their original Hebrew names. It's Babylonian names. And slowly but surely we start to look and sound and act the same. Well, now and then and on specific days we might go and worship the God of the Bible, but when we are in public... Everybody sounds and looks and acts the same. Same in the beginning of the book, when Daniel and them, where the Daniel fast comes from. And they are called to eat specific things because they'll be shown before the king. And again, Daniel says, no, it's fine if you eat those things, but I'm not going to eat them. I'm not going to look and do the same. Late in the book as well, when King Darius comes onto the scene, all are called to only worship the king. You're not allowed to pray to your God. Then it gets a little bit more extreme. And the interesting thing is, again, Daniel refuses to make his faith private. He refuses to look the same in public and just worship God in private. When he prays, he prays with his window open. And the funny thing is, God doesn't call us to pray with our windows open. He doesn't have to do that. He could have just closed it. And no persecution would have arised. But he just refuses to give in to the pressure of society. And one thing that we must note when we think about the images that's erected around us, that's calling for our attention to bow down, 
that if you are not aware that there's constantly something calling you to worship it, to bow down, to look the same as the culture, and to not walk in the ways of God, if you are not aware of that, then you've already bowed. I mean, think about that. The world around us is not a Christian culture. They don't do things in a godly way. And if we live out there and we do not every now and again come to a crossroad where we have to choose, where we don't realize, have to choose between God's ways and the world's ways, then we've already bowed to the world's ways. We've already succumbed to that pressure. If we do not realize that every now and again we're going to have to constantly make a choice to do things God's way or the world's way, we've already bowed down before the image. And another way where we can see whether we're following culture or really following God is by asking the question, did persecution come? Because that's the other thing that we see here in verse 11. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that they be brought to him. Following God, not bowing to the image, will always lead to persecution. And the question that we should ask ourselves, when following God, when last did we experience persecution? And it doesn't always have to be in these extreme ways. I'm not asking when last did a group of guys try and tie you and throw you into a fire. But when did you experience persecution because of your faith? And many times it's in subtle ways. Someone telling you, hey, we don't talk about those things here there's a time and place for everything in family many times the most difficult things your workplace and in your family most difficult places to stand up for what God calls us to stand up for because we know it's going to be awkward and next time when there's a family bro we're not maybe not going to get invited but we have to stand up for what God calls us to because we are called to live godly lives. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, it's not on the board, and he says that everyone that wants to live godly lives will be persecuted. That's scripture. Will be persecuted. Not could maybe be persecuted. They will be persecuted. Jesus himself writes in John 15 from verse 18, and he says, they hated me, they will definitely also hate you. If the world loves you, it's because the world loves its own. That's what Jesus says. But because I took you out of the world, the world will hate you. There will be persecution when we do things in different ways. And we'll see that through persecution or through actively knowing that there's a choice that needs to be made. I mean, literally in this case, there will be times in our lives that we need to stand out. Everybody bows down, but we are the ones that remain standing. Does that happen? We look and sound the same. When the joke is told, do we also laugh? Because scripture says, let no crude talk, no crude joking come out of your mouths. We're supposed to live a different life. And we like to kind of justify ourselves and say, okay, but we don't want to be that weird people and we also want to relate with people because then maybe later we can show them by our love that, you know, God cares. But it's actually not love, it's just tolerance. And tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. What does love do? Love speaks the truth because we care for those around us. Because we know that there's another furnace awaiting. Amen.
Because we've already bowed down, all of us. But there's luckily one who can save. But love speaks the truth. And that takes us to the second point. Faith through the fire. There will always be persecution if we do not worship the image. There will always be persecution if we do not worship the image. There's this beautiful song by United Pursuit. Speaks about the testimony of, of grace. And it says, it's a one-way ticket to the lion's den. I've got to go through the fire so that I can come out again. Stand on my faith. Live what I believe. Tell the world, Jesus. One-way ticket to the lion's den. When we said yes to following Jesus, it's a one-way ticket to the lion's den. The fire will come. And I know that many of you are maybe thinking to yourself, Vian, you said you were going to be encouraging tonight. And you hope that we take some encouragement out of the message tonight. But we're going to get there just now. But it's important for us to receive everything from God's word, the conviction and everything included. But we are supposed to look a little bit different. And here comes the encouragement. Kind of two parts of it. Understanding God's heart in persecution, in suffering, in trials. Makes the trauma that we go through half better already. Already a load off of our shoulders. And we see this here in the answer that the three men give to the king and ask ourselves, but what could have allowed them to give such an answer? And we see here in verse 16 and 17, it says, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And just note there, because many times we read that verse wrong. They do not say that God will deliver them from the furnace. It says that God will deliver them from his hand. He's able to deliver them from the fire. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the, fire, from the burning fire of furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. He will deliver us out of your hand and he can deliver us from the fire. We're not saying he is going to, but he can. And then it says in verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will not succumb. We will not give in to this pressure. And firstly, the thing that we should realize is the reason that this is coming out of them is because that is what is within them. And one thing that we should know about trials and tribulations and about suffering is if we really want to know who we really are, then we need the fire in front of us. It's the only time when we realize who we really are. It's only then when we see what's really inside. You see, we many times think about it the other way around. We think we are who we are when things are just going well, and then that situations, we call them, that pop up, that test us. Maybe I just had a, a moment there. I said, you know, sorry, I don't know what happened there. That's not really me. Scripture says, that's really you. That flare that went out, that's you. That came out because that was what was inside. But many times we think as we on holiday lying next to the beach and we think, man, we are good people. Look at how peaceful we are, filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And we are so full of joy. And man, we are patient. 
I can wait on the beach. I know that they're going to get some fed cooking. It's been a while, but I can wait a while still. It's just because we're on vacation. It's no trials. It's no fire. And we act that way just because the circumstances around us dictate that. But what really comes down, when the pressure is really on, when things really don't go away, what comes out then is what's really inside. And the thing that we see here from Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, what allows them to have this faith in God, what allows them to have this character is that they did not place their hope and their faith in what God can do, but in who God is. There is a difference. You see, we many times want to place our hope and faith in what God can do. We have an agenda. And our answers many times look very much different from these three men's answer. We say, man, we've placed our faith in God and we are busy following Him, so I really trust and I long for this breakthrough. And when we fast and when we pray and when we do a lot of stuff, it's just filled with our agenda. What God needs to come and do, what God needs to come and fix, what God needs to come and heal, what God needs to come and restore. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray about those things, we should. And we should trust God for those things, but our faith should be aimed at Him and Him alone. We also should have the faith to say, Lord, even if you don't, we will not bow. We know you can, we know you are able, but even if you don't, Lord, we will not bow because our faith is in who you are. Our main prayer is come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And if you come, Lord, and if you heal, and if you, that's nice, but you alone, Lord. You see, because that is what these three men knew. That they were either going to be saved out of the fire or through the fire. But either way, they were going to be delivered from the king's hand. Because if they go through the fire and God saves them out of the fire, it makes them more like Jesus and gives the people around them a revelation of who the God is that they serve. And if they die in the fire, then they are with the God that they want to be with. So that's also delivered from his hand. And they knew that either out of the fire or either through the fire, God will deliver us. For we long for a different place. Amen. And the same is true for us. God always has a sovereign plan about doing this for us. So beautiful that Jesus with them there in the fire. You know, it's called a theophany. Whenever God appears in a certain way in the Old Testament, it's what theologians call a theophany. God manifesting himself in human form. And the king noting that, that there's one like the son of the gods. And for those of you who did the spiritual series last week, you, we understand that they understand the spiritual world a little bit better, related to it a little bit better than what we do now. But it says there, the angel of the Lord. Whenever the Old Testament speaks about the, the angel of the Lord, it's not just any angel. Like we say, the, the word angel is more what some, not, not what something is, but what something does, a messenger, someone that brings a message. The angel of the Lord. When the angel of the Lord appears, then the people need to take off their sandals because the place on which they are standing are holy ground. When other angels appear and the men start to worship and bow down, the angels tell them, no, we are only servants like you. Get up. But if it's the angel of the Lord and they are allowed to worship, pre-incarnation of Christ, Jesus himself with them in the fire, delivering them either out of the fire or through the fire. But we need the fire in our lives, to either become more like Jesus or to either go to Jesus. And we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 to 7 that explains it just so beautifully. It says, in this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, and what the scripture means there with little while, it's our time on earth. It speaks about our whole life on earth. It's what Peter is calling a little while. And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like a little while. But scripture says in light of eternity, it's a little while. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That takes us to the third point. Our sovereign God always has a loving plan, even in persecution. Our sovereign God always has a loving plan, even in persecution. For us and for those around us. You see, we many times only look to ourselves when stuff really gets going. And we forget that there's actually people around us looking at these Christians and how they face the things that life throws at them. And it impacts them as well. Because Nebuchadnezzar went to saying, who is the God that can save you from my hand? To calling them, Sadrach, Masach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Come out of the fire. And he realized, like we say, they understood the spiritual world a bit better. And he knew these spiritual beings over certain regions and nations. And there's all kinds of different heavenly hosts doing all, all kinds of things. But here he saw who the Most High is. He knows there's other spiritual entities that has power, but the Most High God is surely the King. The Most High God, the one whom these three men has never seen something like that. And it impacts the people around us. But it's also for our good. You know, many times, maybe for most of us sitting here tonight, how we actually began following God or why we came close to God wasn't because everything was just nice. Many times God has to send the fire so that we can actually cling to him and call out to him because we do not see God on our own. I mean, none of us sat and thought to ourselves, man, the only problem I have is I don't know what to do with all of my money. My wife, oh, she loves me. The children are healthy. They're only three years old, but they already have scholarship approved. They're going, it's nice. Uh, What can I also do? Let's start following God. Yes. Let's now lay down our lives and give everything to him so that he can tell us what, no, that's not how it worked for many of us. It's when trials come, when difficulties start, when things break down, then we cry out, many times out of selfishness, many times out of selfish ambitions, and even then God came and saved and sanctified and turned the ambition to himself. Most of us cried out to God for what he can do, and then he revealed to us who he is. And then that changed our hearts. Even in the trials and in the trouble, God comes and does a beautiful thing. And when we understand that, it makes the trials, like I say, halfway lighter already. Because when you speak to people that's gone through stuff, most of the trauma is actually attached to the wrong idea that I thought when I served God, everything was just gonna go well. What has happened now? Is God not good? Did I not do my part? I'm, I'm, I'm not serving him as I should. No, we'll never be able to serve him as we should. And the reward we get is not because we are good people. It's just a loving God doing loving things. But that's not how Christianity works. It's not follow God and everything will be well with us. Why? Because that does not make God worthy. That just makes us selfish. Man, if God can do that, wow. If there's two of those types of gods, I'll follow both. Well, when we say like, that even if he doesn't, we will still worship. 
That placed the value and the worth on God himself. Amen? So when we go through the fire, we will either be more like Jesus or we'll be taken to Jesus. But those around us will also have a revelation of who God is. And I want to end off for us here with verse 29. Nebuchadnezzar unknowingly proclaiming the gospel. It says here, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Like I said, Nebuchadnezzar very unknowingly, not knowing what he's actually saying here. There is no other God that can save us from the fire. That's the gospel. And it's not a fire made by human hands. It's a fire made by God himself. Why? Because all of us bow down to the wrong image already. And unfortunately, as terrible as it might sound, we're going to do so again. Every single one of us sitting here will not live a perfect life for a day or a week. We will give in to temptation, hopefully not willingly. Hopefully we'll go down fighting. But go down we will. That's what scripture says. The one who says he has no sin deceives himself and the truth is not in him. 1 John 1 verse 8. But verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've already bowed down and we will do so again. And the good thing is thanks to Jesus Christ, the God who is able to save us from the fire, it will not be that he will be with us in the fire again, but he was there alone. See, when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not Jesus dying with us, it's Jesus dying for us. And we will never experience what he went through. Not with us in the fire, but for us in the fire, so that we do not need to face the wrath of God, but so that we can be with him forever. Amen? And if we see that, and if we know that, then we can know for sure that this God whom I serve, even if he doesn't deliver me from worldly trials, He's worthy to be praised. And he's worthy to be followed. And this thing that I go through will either make me more like him or it will bring me to him. But either way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you that we can come before you tonight, Lord. Some of us, Lord, experiencing a a range of different emotions, Father. Some of us convicted, Lord. Feel a heavy feeling on our shoulders, Lord, our hearts pounding, Father. Thinking when we examine our lives in light of those around us, Lord, in light of the world out there, it looks the same. And we have to admit, Lord, that we've been bowing to the image far more often than we'd like to acknowledge. But thank you, Lord, that by your grace, because Jesus came. That doesn't mean we'll be thrown into the fire, but when we cry out to you, Lord, as long as we still have breath, you are faithful to forgive, Lord. To take our place. What a loving God, Lord. If that is you tonight, you acknowledge that you've been bowing to the image far more often than you should. Just there where you stand, lift up your voice to God. Cry out for forgiveness. And you will receive grace. All who are weary, all who are weak, come to the fountain. 
you will not experience rejection. But a loving father standing with his arms wide open. And maybe for some of us, you standing in front of the fire and the question has been asked for a second time. They're telling you, okay, maybe you didn't listen the first time. But if you bow down now, then you won't go through the fire. You know that your step of obedience is going to get you thrown into the flames. Whether it's something that you have to say to someone, a conversation that you need to have, maybe something at work that you need to expose, maybe a certain way of business that you need to go and do. The world is forcing you to do business a certain way or to work a certain way and you simply cannot because it's not what God expects of us. Or maybe you should start preaching the gospel at work and you know it's not allowed. Whatever it might be, you know that that step of obedience is going to get you thrown into the fire. If that is you tonight, won't you call out to God and ask Him to give you strength to obey. To live for Him, oh, because He is worthy. And maybe in that fire, God will deliver you. Maybe not. But even if, let's have that faith of Sadrach, Mesach and Abednego. Say, we will not bow to another image. Maybe you're here tonight and you've already gone through the fire and you didn't know why. You have so much questions. Lord, why? If you are a good father, or is it because I'm just bad? Know this, that a loving father has a loving purpose with whatever you've been through in life. For some of us it might not make sense. You're full of questions. But if we know the character of God, we don't always have to know the reason why He does what He does. But if that is you, also just lift up your heart to God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, for the accusations. I'm sorry for the doubting. Help me to trust in You, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never surrendered to God actually. You've been bowing down to the culture your whole life. As long as you have breath, turn to God. There is no one that can save like our God. There is no one that will be able to deliver you from the fire. Not yourself, no good works. No good deed. But Jesus Christ and He alone. The one that was thrown into the fire for us. And He will come back one day and we will either be saved by Him or judged by Him. But Jesus it will be. But whatever you do tonight, don't just stand here. Shake off the passivity. Start to pray. Even if you don't know what to say, say, Lord, here I am, Father. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin, but lead me, Lord. And He will lead. Thank you, Lord, for prayers going up in this place, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that we can know, Lord, that you are not interested, Lord, in our comfort, but our holiness, Lord. To be like you, Lord, to glorify you, Father. To be a light to the world. And thank you, Lord, that as a congregation we can acknowledge, Father, whatever it is that we might go through, you are worthy, Lord, far more worthy. 
And we pray, Lord, give us strength. Increase our faith. So that when we go out, Lord, in this week, Father, when the world bows, that we might remain standing, Lord. For you, Father. For who you are. For your ways. And may it lead those around us to the revelation, Father, of who you are. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name.